Welcome to the Decompression Chamber. I am your host, Andrea, and joining us this week is my shipmate, Sean Bowman. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing great. How are you doing? So glad to be here finally on time. Yes, <laughs> that's all right. I, uh, I've had my share of scheduling nightmares as well, so uh, perfectly understandable. But thanks so much for joining us. And uh, really excited to, to get your story about your time in the Navy. And uh, thank you for being properly attired with the Navy hat. I should have worn mine. My favorite hat. This is definitely my favorite hat. Sometimes I forget I'm wearing it. You know, I'm like in a mood where um, I'm trying to just do something. I'm trying to stay focused. And someone just walks up. Thank you for your service. I'm like, what I do? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I was at a suit. You know, we were talking about. Before we got started, you know, going to the supermarket, um, I went to the supermarket yesterday and there was a gentleman selling, uh, you know, religious T-shirts, whatever like that. And, and I love Black Jesus, you know, I'm sure. saying he's, he's a friend of mine. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, where's your church? It's like West Virginia. I'm like, I'm probably, you know, funding some Ku Klux Klan organization. <laughs> but, but it's got a big shirt and I love big shirts. I'm trying to lose weight. And I said, you know what? Let's go. Uh exercise after we go to the supermarket so i said yeah we're gonna get back down to where we were you know just after i got out of the navy when i was i thought i was in my best shape so yeah i'd forgotten that we were gonna do this yesterday <laughs> and i'm just focused just we're just gonna get on this trail and where i live yeah. in southern pennsylvania i've got this awesome rail trail and what oh. makes a rail trail special is very subtle you know right they yeah they couldn't have that much of a grade yeah. Yeah, hardly any grade. And so it's just, you, you, this trail in particular runs from like Northern Maryland all the way up into York, Pennsylvania, which is about, I mean, okay, rewind. So it's like, <laughs> there's a highway that goes between Baltimore, Maryland, uh, which is the crack capital world, all the way up to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is the seat of government for the state of Pennsylvania. And gotcha. this trail almost does the entire distance. It's like 40 miles or so. Wow. So I'm, I call it, the, I call it the, the magic trail or, or the healing trail. Cause you just get, you just, you just get all wrapped up in just positivity and everything like that. I'm hugging trees right now. Cause I like trees. But anyway, <laughs> so I'm, I'm walking and I'm walking and I'm just in, in, in the zone. And I'm, I'm changing what I'm listening to because everyone should listen to Rat's album, Dancing Undercover, while doing any exercise. It's a perfect 36 minutes long. You know, that's a great goal to start with. Yep. And then I realized two things. A, I had missed the appointment uh, for yeah. the podcast. I'm out of, and, and of course, I'm out of range. But yeah. number two is I had to go number two. Oh, no. Okay? We're all family here. We're uh, all family. Yeah. If you want to know if bears poops in the woods, I don't know, but this bear actually had to do that. <laughs> That's what I get, you know, yeah. for not planning correctly on both sides. And so I'm scrambling to contact you, Andrea, and <laughs> I'm out of service and I'm just like, you know what, anybody else, I wouldn't feel so bad. But when it comes to this subject matter, when it comes to my shipmates and the brotherhood that we have, yeah. you know, it's very important to me. So again, I deeply apologize. I paid the ultimate price and uh, saved a pair of underwear to, to begin with. Anyway, I'm just saying, you know, and we're going to get into that because anyone who's serving the Navy, especially in the early 90s, I don't know how they do laundry now, you know, yeah. 
your draws disappear. So we'll just leave that alone. Let's yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. You do not have a full sea bag coming out of boot camp, even. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, hilarious. Well, well, that, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm super excited that Allison got us introduced and uh, and really. Shout out to Allison Chadwick. Yes, indeed. Uh, excited to get uh, to get your story, um, but uh, yeah, give us a couple of quick background details uh, where you grew up and uh, what what childhood was like and what you thought about the military growing up. All right, let's get into it. So I'm gonna tell everybody right now, you know, like the song that Metallica made, "Damage Incorporated." <laughs> Honesty is my only excuse. So it's gonna be raw. It's gonna, I may say some dirty words. I, I may say Perfect. dirty words and praise black Jesus. That's a whole nother story, whole nother day. You know, not that I think he's black. I just don't think he looked like a roadie for Leonard Skinner back in 1970. <laughs> Fair enough. I agree. So, I concur. So here we go. Um, I, I'm originally from uh, Carroll County, Maryland. And my family's kind of um, based around Carroll, Frederick County. So if you want to know the area... Washington, D.C. is shaped like a diamond. So if you take that top point okay. and go due north, you run right into the seat of the county of Carroll County, uh, Westminster, Maryland. And at one time, Carroll and Frederick County were the same county. I don't know which year they split, but we have a lot of history, cultural, a lot of cultural history. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand and know that slavery was alive and well uh, oh, yeah. in the state of Maryland. Uh, the most, most of it, instead of being farming related, was related where someone would buy another human being and then they would find a job for them. And interesting. It would, this, this person or persons would work this job and then the owners would receive the paycheck. That's how it mostly worked in Maryland. If you want to know more history about that, uh, I implore you to read Frederick Douglass's oh, yeah. uh, autobiography. Um, it's really interesting when it talks about that in this area. So my family's done some history and we, and being that Maryland is one of the original 13, we were able to find records of our family back to 1790. And oh, a wow. few were enslaved and were freed or manumated, which means your owner died. Oh, okay. So yeah. I've always been inside kind of a, a duality of rural, ruralism, <laughs> yeah. farming, uh, you know, country music, bluegrass music, yeah. Thing that, and then this urban thing of, mm -hmm. you know, our identity was Baltimore, Maryland, you know, and if we wanted to see large groups of black folks, mm -hmm. you had to go to Baltimore. So we, so we had that aspect right. and I enjoyed that part growing up until I was about 12 years old. And then we, we left Maryland. My mother remarried someone mm -hmm. and um, he happened to be a Navy veteran. He was a oh, okay. uh, FC technician. And uh, one of the first black FC technicians to have a technical job in the U.S. Navy. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because, uh, you know, going back to some history, I mean, really, it was only CS, you know, culinary specialist was was open and the other rates. So like fire fire control technician. I mean, that's that was an open. Um... It wasn't open to uh, persons of color. Of course, it was definitely not open to women. Right. Right. Um, not and you know, open to people who were openly transgender and or queer. I don't know how we want to label that. But of course, we all know that that's so when you look through the centuries of, of sea, you know, of people who live on the ocean, mm -hmm. there's always been persons of color. There's always been women. 
there's yeah. always been people representing the queer community. And maybe that's a whole entire podcast we can go into. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? But you, sure. it, I definitely think the U.S. Navy is a micro uh, ecosystem of what this nation is, both positive and negative. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's so, true. so we'll start with that. My mother married a Navy veteran. And immediately I started seeing certain things like the personality of being bipolar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can be happy, but you never know when this person's going to be angry and upset. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I didn't, I never understood that until I served. Yeah. I didn't, whenever I had bad grades, I wasn't punished. I was placed on restriction. <laughs> Literally, you laugh. I'm dead serious. Hey, you know, stick with what you know, honestly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And his mentality was very similar was, you know, when you're around me, I want you on eggshells mm-hmm. and you're always going to be focused on doing what I want you to do. Yeah. And I'll praise you every so often, but for the most part, you're just supposed to be happy with the meal I give you. That's yeah. the thing. So we moved to California, San Jose, California in 1982, just as, you know, the whole Silicon Valley was just beginning to start. Boom. Oh, you were a Bay Area guy too. Okay. I- well, I yeah, grew up in well, Walnut I mean, Creek. Technically, I mean, I live. We lived there from '82 to '86. Okay. Um, do you know where uh, Raging Waters Water Slide yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. That was my neighborhood. If okay. You just go a little bit further past, it's like uh, that would be that wouldn't be White Road, but it's on White Road. But then mm-hmm. you you got Flint Avenue, whatever. There's a whole neighborhood just like if you're coming off the highway to go to Raging Waters. Yeah. There's an entire neighborhood. So right off of White Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, my high school, Mount Pleasant High School. Yeah. You go the opposite direction. You got my middle school, Quimby Oak. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's where I was first exposed to multicultural, you know, yeah. environments, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, my stepfather would share stories of like, yeah, traveling to this country and to that country and the different customs you learn there. Yeah. So now I've got a hunger to not only do I want to, and you know, immerse myself in different cultures. My neighbors on one side were Portuguese across the street that not only were they Mexican, but the mother was born and raised in Mexico and she only spoke Spanish to the okay. kids. Wow. Um, Samoan, Filipino, and I'm like, I want to see these places. Yeah. So uh turned 16 and we moved to the Chicago suburbs. So if anyone's seen the Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. bingo. <laughs> that was the environment I was in. It okay. was mostly white, mm-hmm. not as cultured, um, a little behind the times. And the whole, th- their way of thinking was, well, if you're a person of color, then you must be from the south side of Chicago uh, and you're gang related or whatever. Yeah, and yeah, so it's... there's only like 10, 12 black folks going to this high school, uh, Wheeling High in Wheeling, Illinois. Shout out to the Wildcats. But, at the, you know, it's mostly Hispanic now, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the cultural shift. That eventually came in, which is beautiful. But at that time, you know, it was just, oh, you must be a, in a gang. So the 12 or 10 or 12 black folks were like, yeah, we're a gang. <laughs> you know, or whatever. And yeah. then here I come along. And by this time, I'm 16. I can listen to hip hop. I was starting to freestyle just for fun, fun, yeah. but definitely hair metal. Um, <laughs> 
you know, the speed metal that was coming out with Metallica and Anthrax and even Slayer. Oh. But also, I was into Christian heavy metal, which is very heavy wow. in the Midwest in the mid in the mid '80s or what have you. So, yeah. Um, and by this time, I decided, you know, I became very you know, spiritual slash mostly just religious. Mm -hmm. uh, I just felt that I, I needed something to kind of get through the day. And living in that household, it was not the most positive thing. So I yeah. I need some inspiration. So while most people were like every weekend going to keg parties and all this other stuff, I kind of stayed out of that loop. I would go here and there and people like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, well, I'm just trying to blow off some steam and trying to see what this is. I'm like learning about myself. And um, I made the decision just after graduation that, okay, we're going to take some time. We're going to travel. And this is 1988 and just visit some friends in different parts of the country. Like, you know, born and raised in Maryland, spent some time that summer there. Sure. Uh, went back to California to the the Bay area and learned, you know, hung out with them a little bit. And then, you know, fast forward to a the April following graduation. So that was what, eight, nine, 10 months where like, yeah, we'll just say, you know, yeah. 11, 10 months later, um, I decided, okay, well, nothing's going on here at home. Yeah. Um, I really don't want to go to college. I want to travel. I want to see things. Yeah. And my stepfather's always been telling me about, you know, how you, you know, it, out of all the other armed services of course mm -hmm. the army had the coolest posters i'm like oh, yeah i'm gonna yeah. dress green and paint my face yeah you know and then the marines have their whole brotherhood thing going on so i was like going that direction and then he pulled me back he said well do you want to sleep in a bed or do you want to sleep in a hole you dug i'm like i kind of like beds. yeah I beds are great beds. not gonna knock beds yeah but then, you know then there's the air force but it's just they just when it's fun i'm just yeah, <laughs> yeah just it seems really like camp yeah. So I decided on my own, you know, I didn't have any pressure from my parents or whatever like that. You know, I'm 18 years old. I can make my own decisions. And they're like, you know, they're pushing me out of the nest. And oh, my yeah. mother and I are very close, very close. And um, she just really just told me, she's like, you're an adult now. You know, I've given you all the tools. You've seen enough stuff. You can make your own decisions. So literally on my own, I contacted the recruiter. And um, I actually got lucky. I had a very good, honest recruiter. Interesting. Who wanted me to join, wanted to make sure I had everything I needed. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a processing center, literally 30 minutes away, this Plains, Illinois, which did the entire Chicago area. It is, yeah. It's hilarious because this place is not big enough. Oh, wow. That kind of a volume. Yeah, yeah. And so while you're going through your processing, you're literally crisscrossing each other from all four branches now. Wow. So, and 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 that's that kind of came into play. We're gonna kind of come into that. So, uh, literally, I uh, got done. I got sworn in. I came home and said, "I got something to tell you guys. I just joined the United States Navy. I ship out in April." <laughs> just like that. Just yeah. like that. Wow. And um, my mother, I thought she was gonna cry. I yeah. thought she was going to cry because out of happiness that uh, I had oh, made a very serious adult decision on my own. Yeah. She trusted the Navy was going to take care of me. She trusted that it's something that was going to enhance my life. 
Yeah. My stepfather, he could not contain himself. <laughs> he was giddy. <laughs> it's almost like he said all those days of restriction paid off. <laughs> and he had already instilled certain habits that mm-hmm. definitely helped me once I got in. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Now, that's prior you know, knowledge. Uh, just to kind of give you the influence of how I felt about the military. Now, I'm at the age where... I'm old enough to remember people coming back from Vietnam. Oh, yeah. And some of that was kind of ugly. Sure. But I, uh, my my uncle, Larry, who served in the Air Force, and again, this is during Vietnam when they're just starting to desegregate things. He was an MP. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said his first night, they put him on an outpost in the middle of nowhere. Oh, wow. And there had been action on that side of the base. But he's there pitch black by himself. Wow. And immediately, the, he got through that first night, even though he was scared, he's kind of a big guy and he could handle himself. Mm-hmm. But other black uh, airmen said, you stay close to us. Okay, yeah. We'll make sure that never happens to you again. Yeah. So there's still a lot of that going on. But he told me a really cool story of as he became a, uh, fully engaged in being an MP. Of course, they were the police mm-hmm. of the base yeah. uh, and around the base. He served with another gentleman who's a white gentleman. So they created this deal. They're like, if it's a if it's a white guy acting out, I'll take care of it. If it's a black guy, you take care of it. That way, there won't be any racial yeah. connotation to it. Right. So it's a big deal. He got they, they got called to go to this one bar, and there was this guy. He's he's, he's like six eight, three hundred pounds, all muscle. Wow. And he was hammered, drunk. He had already beat up ten people in the bar. He beat up both bouncers, and they're like, "We got to get this guy out of there." So they show up, and he's just sitting there with a pitcher of beer. Back then, you could also order a bowl of, uh, like, a, a cereal bowl full of marijuana and a cereal bowl full of cocaine. <laughs> who knows how jacked up this guy was? And so his buddy said, "Thompson, he's all yours." Like he's mother. My uncle had, I didn't know at the time that he had uh, an associate's degree in psychology. Oh, okay. And he was actually using it on us as far as my cousins as well. But (laughs) he goes, God, he goes, buddy, I know you've had a hard day. I know you're sad being so far away from home. And it's scary being out here, even though you're a big man. I understand we have our bad days. Listen, I just, I just want to get you back to your barracks. And just sleep it off. You know, I understand you're going through a lot. <laughs> so the dude stood up, all six, eight of him, all 300 pounds, walked right up to him and said, you know what? That's the best thing somebody said to me all day. Broke down crying, <laughs> hugging my uncle. Oh, and everyone's looking around like, what kind of superpower does this guy have? Yeah, yeah. So he, he was letting me know there's going to be days. Yeah. You know, there's going to be days when, you know, you're going to, you're not going to be yourself. Sure. And uh, it's funny at Uncle Larry's house and my aunt Jean, um, my cousins and I were cutting hair because that's what you do when you're cousins in the 80s. You got to have the cool high top fades. Yeah, yeah. So the group of us, about 12 of us in this room talking, you know, telling lies. You know, my girl, she looks like this and I did this and I'm a hustler. Whatever. I knew we were all live. It's fun. It's barbershop mode. Yeah, yeah. So they asked me, so what, when you went home, you know, what did your parents say? They said, yeah, you can always join the Navy. We all bust up laughing. <laughs> it's funny. In that room, I was the first to, to enlist. Yeah. Next, my cousin, um, Brian, 
Uh, shout out to Brian Thompson, Uncle Larry's son. He enlisted the same day as Eddie, and they actually did boot camp together. Oh, wow. Uh, another, I think three sailors. other people, all together, about five to seven people in that room that day enlisted. Within wow. Because we knew wasn't anything going on in, this, in the Baltimore, Washington, you know, metropolitan area at that time, late 80s, early 90s, but trouble. Oh, so yeah. we, we all enlisted. So, you know, um, my grandfather served in World War One, and he wow. told me stories of, again, it was segregated in 1918. Um, and the part that he told me was, I was like, I read the book, you know, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. I'm like, did you see horses running around with their guts all out? He goes, no, I was in supply. But where we were at, we could see both incoming shells going to the rear and our shells going outbound right. at night. Like that was our fireworks show. Wow. That's all he said. He didn't want to, sh- he, you know, rest yeah. his soul. He never told me that generation didn't really talk about dark stuff. But yeah. here's what yeah. I did learn. So evidently, um, my papa, as I called him, and my uncle Larry, so two of my favorite relatives who both passed on, they sat down drinking iced tea, much the same as I am right now. <laughs> yeah. And um, he told this story about, hey, so uh, did your wife ever find anything from your past? No, Mr. Paree, that's, that's his name, Paree Owens. Yeah. He goes, oh, let me tell you something. Mary, she found my box of letters from France. So evidently, Uh-oh. by the time the U.S. you know engaged in World War One, so many Frenchmen had been you know killed. There was three women to every serviceman. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So this is a black serviceman named Paris who could speak a little French. Mm-hmm. So he was the hookup guy. So at night they're like, all right. You don't have watch, but you go out and get some of that fresh bread, go out and get some of that wine, do whatever. I don't care how you do it. Gotcha. Yeah. So he had three French girlfriends. So you got to understand, in the United States at that time, if he so much as looked at and whistled at a white woman, he could be murdered. No questions asked. He had three, and it's confirmed that he was doing things to them in 1918 that you cannot see in any (laughs) pornographic. My aunt, who was a junior in high school, came home from school. My grandmother was sitting at the kitchen table with a cigarette lit. You read French? She goes, yep. Every word on every page. And my aunt will tell you, it is some of the most crazy erotica you've ever imagined. Oh, my God. But this nice old man that we knew. Yeah, yeah. Young at the time. So all that to say, um, even with all the negative of, you know, the conflicts that we had been in since, you know, from 1918, all the way up, I don't know of any relatives that were engaged in the Civil War and any of the, you know, we, we would, we would have hoped to find letters, but we don't. So for me, it's from 1918 on up to, you know, modern day, you know, I mean, the that's... Cold War. Anything, so. anything over a century, which is what your family history includes, I mean, is is enormous. I I don't think that I have anyone in my family that served during World War One, let alone would they have letters that I could read and get a sense of what they were like when they were my age, or let's be honest, younger than I am now. Yeah, really. <laughs> and uh, and that's just really interesting stuff. So now that you've brought up the letters end of it, I'm gonna have to see uh, if my dad's got got a hold of anything from my grandfather's. Uh, that uh, you know, is okay. Is G rated? Uh, okay to peruse? No, no, no. You gotta get it raw. You gotta see it real. 
you know? And so that's just one of those things is just, you know, human nature, how people will cope. Yeah. You know, yeah. with stressful times and things going on and, and things of that nature. So for me, so overall, and we're leading up to, I've just joined, you know, my, I felt the military was a good decision for people who were not going to go to college, who Absolutely. needed to get away from home, who needed some discipline in their life. But most of all, something I didn't realize until I joined was people need to spend time around other cultures and actually yes. immerse themselves in other cultures. Yes. It's something that in this nation, everyone talked about, I want to see the world, I want to see the world, I want to see the world, but they never leave their beltway, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, certain true. radius. I was talking to a gentleman last night. He's a biker. He's part of a club where <laughs> literally their patch is the stars and bars, rebel flag on his back. So he's got a huge, gigantic club. And yeah. we get along just fine and talk yeah. and everything. And I was like, have you ever been out to Montana? Have you ever been out to Oregon? He goes, no, I've never been to Ohio. I'm like, buddy, you're on a motorcycle. Yeah. You can go wherever you want. You've got no kids as far as that you claim. Yeah. I yeah. mean, <laughs> they ain't got, found I, you I, yet. So, you never, <laughs> not Sturgis. He goes, no, not the big one. I've been to Florida. I'm like, dude, you're missing so much. So, I yeah, think people yeah. really need that as part of their, de- all human beings need that as part of their development. Yeah. Is to travel and immerse yourself in other cultures. So, no, that, absolutely. Anyhow. 100%. And yeah, I, I've known some people who've never left the Bay Area, and it's just, it shows. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't definitely it? It shows. It really does. I don't care where you're at, it will show. Yeah. Definitely show. So there we go. So now we're up to the point of joining the Navy. Any questions up, up that point in my life, from being born until I'm uh, 18, about to go on 19 as I join? Any questions with that? Yeah. So, uh, you enlist, you know when you're going to ship out. Do you know what your job is going to be at that point? How did that work in the 80s? Okay, let's segue into chapter two. (laughs) (laughs) Remind me, like I said, it was the This Plains Military Processing Center was a hornet's nest of activity. And all four branches and we're all going back and forth. We got everything done. Get to boot. I mean, get a ride to boot camp. So, of course, I joined the Navy to see the world. I go to Great Lakes, Illinois, 30 minutes from my home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, well, they never I, send you far, it seems like. <laughs> and so I was going to go into electronics. I was going to be an ET electronics. Technician. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, kind of like what my stepfather did. And it, it, the whole thing was pick a job that you know you will have work when you're done if you decide to leave. So Smart. my two, my two uh, boot camp uh, company commanders, mm-hmm. I know one was BT1 McClary, and I can't think of the other guy's name. I've got, do I have it over here? Yeah, look, I just happen to have it here. Got my boot camp class here. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Man, those photos haven't changed a bit. It <laughs> looks exactly the same. Well, the guy in white... Okay, so that's McClary. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. That's McClary. Mm -hmm. He was a BT1. The other gentleman, I can't remember right now. I'll remember later. He was a BTC. Okay. So these guys are both BTs, and they were crazy. Yeah. They were really crazy in, like, a funny way. Yeah. I mean, hard-nosed McClary was, like, this six-foot-four, just badass. Just He's that that old-school salt that. 
you know, stop drinking, I mean, stop fighting long enough to take a sip from his beer. You yeah. Tell who he was. Yeah. And then the other guy, he was like the short, menacing dude. Who, oh, yeah. I know plenty and, of them. And XYO and I mean, hit this career path. He's just like, you mean I can become an officer? I can be enlisted and end up being an officer. Mm-hmm. And as we were leaving, he was leaving for uh, OTC. Oh, wow. So, and he had been in less than 12 years. Uh, so he was definitely the brains of yeah. it all. You could tell, but he was lethal. He was quiet. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Those are the ones and, you got to um, watch out for. The group of us that you see in that picture, we were like the misfits, the ones who had gone to college at UNLV mm-hmm. and thought we could, you know, double our money at the craps table. Yeah. From our, you know, you know, that we got for our scholarships. Uh, that didn't work. Yeah. Other ones spent a little too much time at the club and got two or three kids. Yep. Other ones, you know, went to court and they were told five years in jail or you, I'll let you enlist. Yeah, yeah. So that was us. You know, this is, you know, most uh, usually when you get into like, you know, June and July, it's people who just graduated high school mm-hmm. and then gone in. We were the one. Every one of us had a story. Yeah. Every last one of us had a story. And I, I just loved it. I loved you know, company 174. And in fact, about halfway through uh, boot camp, uh, I don't know if they do it now, but they did a reevaluation of a physical type of a thing. Mm-hmm. So everything you did to be processed in, if there's any things that they need to look over again or whatever. So I remember when I was in the processing center five weeks earlier, the guy had made a notation. I don't know why he made a notation in the book. And um, so we get to half, we get, we, I go in to see the eye doctor and he opens up and he sees the notation and he goes, okay, sit in that chair. I'm going to turn on this little light. Tell me what color it is. Ah, uh, Farnsworth lantern test. Tell. Yeah, the lantern test. And I couldn't tell. Yeah. And um, he's like, you know, are you lying? What, you know, he started cussing me out. And I'm just like, buddy. Yeah. I just did the test. What test did they give you? Well, I put my face up to this scope. And he goes, son of a bitch. <laughs> they gave the army test. Oh, no. <laughs> Such confusion. So it, uh, they sit me off to the side, and I go into this glass enclosed office uh, with this officer. And he said, well, what we have is a breach of contract. So you got a choice. If you wish, you can leave the Navy, no harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to stay, you have to pick another job and you've got the rest of the weekend. It was a Friday. So he's like, you know, we'll give you until Monday morning to decide. Okay. And I, I literally took 30 seconds to say, ain't nothing going on at home. I'll yeah. pick another job. Yeah. And they're like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm halfway done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to come back. Right. Right. <laughs> Step one, I'm not David Goggins, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> he literally laid out eight cards. Mm-hmm. So I had eight choices. And it came down to two, gas turbines um, or boiler technician. Mm-hmm. And I thought about gas turbines, but I was like, I don't want to lose my hearing. Of course, it shows ignorance because I have, um, I'm have. i still in a power plant. We have a gas turbine, and they're completely enclosed. Yeah, and yeah. And it's a lot less work. So that could have been a whole different trajectory right there. Yeah. I'll be honest, I probably would have stayed in. Yeah. 
Oh, wow. And then I'm like, well, boiler technician. Well, both my company commanders are boiler techs. They seem to be having a good time. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not on a boat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're glad to be I, off the off the ship. I chose boiler technician, and they were, again, it was like, I'm pleasing my parents. Yeah. And they're like, fuck, yeah, you're one of us now. <laughs> and uh, um. It's it's just wild when I think back to that moment. I mean, it's one yeah. thing to decide to join the armed services, but it's a whole other thing to see what you know my life is going to be like if I choose something. And then in the car, yeah. they show you jobs that you could do when you get out, and I'm like, there's a lot of jobs there and everything else like that. Yeah. And um, here we go. Yeah. So Let's I go it. to the tech school, which is like three months. And uh, and then it comes time to, to figure out where you're going to go. And uh, they're like, you know, OK, sign your name next to the base, what you really want to go to. Yeah, they so always I, let you list your preferences. And it's like, I might as well just crumple this up and throw it away or incinerate it. It's meaningless. Like they said on the wire. Yeah. <laughs> always, always when they say pick what you don't want, pick what you really want, because that's what they're going to do if they're really upset with you or whatever. Exactly. So I chose Long Beach. That's where my stepfather was stationed for a while. And he had yeah. some friends. And we had visited Long Beach. And I thought Long Beach was cool. Even the thugged out places of Long Beach, I thought were cool or whatever. So I yeah. chose Long Beach. Three weeks later, the official orders came out. And uh, the list was there. And I um, they are like, yeah, it's at the back of the class. So um, I walked up, lifted the paper up, put it back down, and like took 10 steps back like, this can't be true. This okay. can't be true. Walk back up, look again. Sure enough, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Whoa, nice. Yeah, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. How did I get so lucky? Thank you so much. I learned why. Yeah. Did, I mean, yeah. Did you even why. list that as a preference or? Oh. <laughs> Our ship had the USS Bruton 1086. We have a little bit of an issue with methamphetamines, or as they oh. call it in Hawaii ice. So Damn. I got there and uh, at the time I was still growing up. I'm like, I don't know if I want to be with this religious guy anymore. I kind of want to, I want to get taste a little bit of everything. Sure. And sure enough, I meet a gentleman who um, was a part of this church, got him out of a lot of dark spots. Um, I'm still friends with his wife. They're not married any longer. Mm -hmm. uh, they have both met in uh, medical school uh, oh. um, in New Jersey, and she's from the Bronx, the boogie down Bronx. Oh, damn. So maybe next time we talk, I'll ask her if she'll authorize me to talk about the story when Rick James, Prince, and Eddie Murphy showed up at her boot store one night. Oh, man. And all the shenanigans that ensued. So that might, that might be imagine. a part But she is just like, she was like in the mix within New York City. Yeah. <clears throat> Romy, love Romy. And um, so anyways, <clears throat> I got involved in this church that was very religious, we'll just say. Okay. And I'm glad, I, I, on one note, I'm like, you know, here I am 19 years old becoming this very spiritual person. And I'm quote unquote, missed out on all the life experiences that a young 20 something goes through between, you know, 18 and 25 and 26. But the good part was, especially where I was going to, I'm so glad because, <laughs> you know, early 90s, you know, uh, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, 
was just the wild, wild west. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, religious adherence might keep you on the straight and narrow, keep your nose yeah. in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I know. So I got there in November of 89, July of 90. We've done all our workups and everything, and we're going to go on our Westpac cruise. And um, it's like five days away. And if you, uh, those of you who've gone on large deployments, you just know how like that last seven days is like setting up for, like you said, a barbecue, you know, my buddy was like, make sure we, we need to go out and um, we need to go out and get socks and underwear. I'm like, I'm 19 years old. What do I need socks and underwear? Just trust me. Yeah. Trust you're going to need them. You're going to need extra. Yep. You know, he was right. I didn't, and I suffer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's I, I forget, I'll never forget. It was uh, a Monday morning. We 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 go to uh muster at six AM and uh the Bruton was a fast was a Knox class frigate, so we had a um, flight deck like on the next like we had the main deck and the next deck up was the flight deck aft. That's where we all met for muster. So we're there. In our group, and then they say, "Okay, this, um, the the uh, oh goodness gracious, the quarter deck is secured. Mm-hmm. What? Why is securing the quarter deck now? Yes. Yeah, and then so. we look down the pier. Here comes three uh, Chrysler Reliant K cars, and the guys stepping out all have the nice floral Aloha shirts with their IDs. NCIS. Oh yeah, that's and that's problem. what we said. We're like, ooh, what do we do? You know, we were you we were accustomed to someone always getting in trouble. Right, right. <laughs> so we were like, you did you did it this time. And sure enough, I'm sorry about that. I've got a train that actually rides on the rail. So you have to it's one of those old school Well, like, we want trains to be on the rails, not off of the Thank them, you, so, not off yeah. the rails. Like yeah, hopefully this podcast isn't too far. <laughs> no, no, it's it's they it's snatched fun. away twenty one people in one day. Whoa! Crystal meth rain. Of course, those of you who may not know, when you smoke crystal meth, it's odorless and colorless, and you can stay up for days at a time. So they recognize <clears throat> people. The same people were doing the same watch station for three days straight. Big and red guys flag. were paying them a hundred bucks to get out of, you know, to get out of duty. So yeah. they're like, how is someone able to be literally in front of the XO and the CEO for three days straight? Yeah, something. And they knew right. they had a problem. So they set up a sting operation. They were tapping phones. They were getting photographs and video footage. And basically anyone and any, everyone who they felt mm-hmm. were involved, they just swept them all up on a Monday. 22 people showed up the next day on Tuesday. And we're leaving on Sunday morning. Holy shit. <laughs> Seven month appointment. Oh my God. That's how I met my good buddy Richard Kenzel. I wish he could be here. He's in uh, <laughs> he lives about two hours away in Winchester, Virginia. Him and I get together. We say the same thing. I know we're both going to heaven because we spent three years in hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Life in the boiler room, 18 and six, 18 hours oh. up. And six hours off to do everything else you need to do. And it is a crazy, psychotic environment where the the whole thing is you've got to be prepared for if the big one happens. Major steam leak, major fuel oil leak, all these different things. Yeah. You know, right now, there is a 19-year-old hungover that has the power to <laughs> launch missiles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
worst scenario. And it's like, well, for us, we could shut down the entire ship. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. You know, as that deployment turned, went from Westpac into Desert Shield, so we were the first battle group wow. that were a part of that. So we're we get done doing our um, uh, cross the equator events. Okay, yes. I'm not snitch on anybody. <laughs> we did that, and and uh, that same day as we got done doing those uh, events, and then now I'm now a shellback or whatever, but from being a wall to a shellback, mm-hmm. all we were getting showered, getting dressed, and of course everyone who works with engineering and propulsion and power. We all hang together, we sleep together, all that. We immediately felt the ship do a hard port turn. Uh, And I mean, you can hear the turbines winding up. Yeah, yeah. We're like, we're doing a flank bell. Like, you just, just by the, there's certain sounds that you equate to how fast you were going. Mm -hmm. We were going about 25 knots due north, and we didn't know why until the the CO came across and said, oh, by the way, uh, we had a good time doing that. yeah, we had a good time doing that uh, event. Yeah. But uh, just so you know, Iraq just invited, invaded Kuwait. We're oh. heading to the Persian Gulf. Oh, wow. I'll let you know one more when I have it. Just cool as a cucumber. Click. And we're looking at each other like we're at fucking war. Oh, wow. So halfway, a bit two days later, we're about halfway before we're on station. We're running some heavy seas. And normally, those of you who've been on the Indian Ocean, it's placid. It's like a lake. Yeah. It was angry that day. <laughs> yeah, We were taking some heavy rolls, and it, I'll never forget, it was lunchtime. Um, you know, I'm, I think it was slider day of all things, so it would have been Thursday. And uh, we're getting our stuff, and the engineering alarm goes off, the doo-doo alarm. Doo-doo-doo. <laughs> so that means everyone in engineering, no matter what you're doing or where you're at, get down to your engineering space. Yeah. So we're running to our engineering spaces. So on a non-class frigate, there's basically three main areas. You've got the main engine room, um, then there's a bulkhead, and then there's the boiler room where we generate the steam Mm -hmm. that propels the ship. But also the next space is basically our electrical center with our electrical um, steam powered electrical generators and all the main buses and all that sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. So we're running, I'm about to go down to the boiler room and then battle stations went off, general quarters. Oh, my God. So um, I'm at the door. My good buddy, he's there as well. And um, like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And um, I'll never forget, Petty Officer Ski, because <laughs> everyone has a ski on their ship. He yeah. was the ski of all skis. You know, anyone who's Polish and your name isn't Ski, there's one person designated as just Ski. Exactly. Yeah. He goes, Butch. You go down Bowman, suit up. I'll never forget. And I need to thank him for that. Mm-hmm. For, you know, he was, it's funny when you're 19 and you're, you know, your management staff is 30, you just think these guys have seen it all. And then when you turn 30, you're like, I still don't know nothing. But yeah, I have to give it to him. Hats off to, uh, to, to Andrew Simikowski. He made a decision uh, that could have altered everything. What we had what going on was a major fuel oil leak. And major fuel leaks, one of two things happen. Either a fireball um, oh, kills God. everyone within the boiler room or the ship itself just explodes. Oh, my God. So, yeah. And uh, so for about a half hour, you know, I'm in prepare five. I'm suiting up in my firefighter gear. Mm-hmm. I'm getting pumped up, maybe a little too pumped up. They're like, oh, I'm going to check the 
God. <laughs> but you're 19. <laughs> you're doing yeah, it like, as a 19 year old. I'm, I'm like, hey, I might die today. I'm gonna die. Yeah, I'm ready to see Jesus. I mean, really, I went to this weird Uber religious moment of we're gonna do what we gotta do, and I'm ready to go. Yeah, I hadn't seen nothing, ain't been nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm getting ready. And they're like, Bowman, you're still here. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> After about a half hour, um, they called us to go down and help clean up. We get there and it we use at that time on our ship, conventional boilers, we use diesel fuel marine, which is like kerosene. Right. You right. Have, you ever smell kerosene, the fumes are very thick. So what happens in this case, we had about 300 gallons atomized being sprayed out of a, a tube about the size of this pen mm-hmm. so and it's just whipping around it's spraying kerosene on a hot boiler surface that's about 300 degrees oh it's spraying God. on other steam lines that are like 700 degrees and and uh, what happens is the fumes consume the entire space yeah, yeah. and then what would happen is the kerosene would soak through the insulation, get to those 700 degree pipes, and it would just create like a dragon fireball. It would just follow um, the path of the fumes. And um, just think of a very humid day, but instead of humid because of water, it's humid because of, you know, atomized kerosene fumes. so typically you would die first because it would it would suck up all the oxygen. So yeah. Everyone in that space would just suffocate and die on the spot. But then of course, when the fireball reaches its maximum point, you're just incinerated. And at that yeah. point, all you can do is shut the doors and wait for the fire to go out. So this right. is right. for people in at that time, especially on nice class frigates, it's the one thing you prepare for because there's really no escape. They have no choice but to lock you in. Mm-hmm. It did not ignite. And I'll never forget Louis Gaharo, old school salt, who'd been in for eight years, got out, made a family, said, I got to go back in. Oh, boy. He's like one of those old grizzly guys. His dungarees, we were wearing dungarees at the time, were all, like bleached white. They were so old. Those yeah. things last forever. Yeah, yeah. Course. And they were easily 12 years old dungarees. So he's like, how come he gets to wear, you know, uh, what was it called? Stonewash dungarees? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was supposed you to. buy those. You got to earn those. He'll, I'll never forget how he said it. He's a Cuban gentleman from Oklahoma. He said, I don't know how we, of course, being in the boiler for so long, his hearing is lost and everything. Oh, of happened. course. He yells everything. Yeah. I don't know how we survived this. This thing did not light up by the grace of God. Yeah. That's how he said it. He didn't go to church or whatever, but he said it looking at me as if to say, maybe because I was the spiritual one of the whole group, mm-hmm. that's why we were spared. But everything was there. The entire, keeping it basic, you know, triangle of fire was there. We had more than enough fuel. We had more than enough oxygen. We had more than enough heat sources. And, you know, Literally, we just wiped off the walls and kept it moving. Yeah. So that event is a pinnacle point for me. Um, and I implore all of you, you know, I'm going to say it often. If you have not gone to the VA, go. Yes. Because 
that of you know everything in my childhood and everything up to that point in the military of just being a high stress situation that was the closest i came to actually dying so the va now compensates me because of that day wow. and i implore anyone watching this who is a veteran if you have not gone to the va to see if you're eligible for benefits please go Yes. Because I just thought it was a normal. This is just normal. You're just a sailor. Yeah, you, 19, what, you, what do you know? That is not normal. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. know, for some reason, I, I can I can look back in my mind's eye and I can remember a chest of um, flange shields, which is basically like a metal disc. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you put them in, you know, where piping comes together or certain valves or whatever like that. And so they're relatively small, but at that time for storage purposes, they put them around these like metal rings to mm -hmm. tell you what size they were or whatever. Yeah. Of course we had those on a bulkhead, yeah. you know, on the side of the ship, right above our fuel oil strainers. Mm -hmm. Heavy rolls, it fell, it clipped the lines. Uh, like I said, those lines are no bigger than this pen. Mm -hmm. And they had a hundred PSI uh, pushing uh, kerosene. So literally the world's largest aerosol can, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. you know, wow. right next to our alpha boiler. So go to the VA and see if you're eligible because incidents like that, even though to, to us, it was like everyday thing and we just kept it moving. Yeah. Yeah. It's very serious. And, um, anyways, so that was like the most exciting part of that deployment. Other than that, That's we were, our ship was so old. All we had operational was just filthy language that's <laughs> sometimes all you need so we stayed in the gulf of oman or the goo which mm -hmm. is right before you go through the straits of hormones and the persian gulf um you know we boarded a few ships and we can get into all that stuff later but basically just my time deploying with the uh with the navy uh and seeing the cultures that was everything we visited 12 different countries Wow. Um, the guys tried to get me to lose my virginity in Africa because it's the motherland. <laughs> Interesting. On that trip, we were uh, at sea for like 38 days. We didn't get a beer day, wow. but uh, we were running out of fuel. And we're like, where are we going to go? Let's call the Pentagon. The Pentagon called back and said, you guys are going to Djibouti, and which was at the time, it's at the, it's at the bottom of the Red Sea, Gulf of Aden. Yeah. At the time was a French Foreign Legion base. Now it's a jump off for special forces going into Yemen. But I'm like, we got a ship full of dudes have been at sea for 37 days and we're going to a place with the word booty in it. Right? Yeah, yeah, this oh, is yeah. not good. <laughs> sure enough, I knew card carrying Ku Klux Klan members that were in line at the chicken ranch to do that. Wow. And I can say I did not. In fact, my entire my entire enlistment I can honestly say I joined the Navy and left the Navy still a virgin. Now, that may seem like a little odd, but you got to understand when you go to countries where human trafficking is legal. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's every for a 19, 20 year old person of any gender, you mm -hmm. can get whatever you want. Yeah, whatever you want for less than thirty dollars. Yeah. So, it's you wild. know, I, yeah, I poked my, just for the hell of it, I said, you know what, we need to see this. So I poked my head um, into a bar in Subic Bay, mm -hmm. uh, along a pole called uh, Club Metallica. <laughs> well, I mean, you being a Metallica fan. I know, right? So like a moth to a flame. 
You couldn't help Huge it. Huge <laughs> Bose stereo system. I mean, top of the line Bose stereo system, blasting everything Metallica had made up until 19, you know, Injustice for All, 89. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine what happened in 91 when, you know, the Black yeah. album came out. But basically, it was all Metallica all the time. And Hell you yeah. had young women, 14 to 19 years old, dancing on the bar in bikinis with numbers. And I'm like, okay, this is not for us. Yeah. This is not cool. But it's interesting that the United States government will talk so badly about human trafficking. But if it's legal in that nation, government employees and military personnel are, you know, it's quote unquote, it's a part of the experience. Yeah. So yeah. that's something I saw while I was out. I learned that, you know, uh, anything, any kind of meat barbecued on a stick, just don't ask, eat it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> don't, don't ask questions, just enjoy don't ask questions, just what you don't know it. can't hurt you. There you go. But uh, I'm so thankful of all the traveling that I did. You know, sure. went to South America, went to Canada, Philippines, of course, when you go out west. Uh, having set foot on the motherland, it's a certain electrical buzz. I don't care who you are, where are you from? It's something that within our DNA that says this is where we started. Yeah, yeah. On this on this block of land or whatever. So I'm so thankful, you know, for that. And I'm also thankful, like I said, I was became part of a church and we had churches in different countries that we had started. So uh i we were in Singapore, and I think on what we kind of mentioned this yesterday. Singapore is a strange city. It's beautiful, it is clean. But it is a seafaring destination. And yeah. ships have been, you know, doing trade on the island of Singapore for centuries. Mm-hmm. When you park your ship around the islands, there's really no harbor. You mm-hmm. just kind of park at a certain place. It looks like a Walmart parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Anything and everything. So it's one of those places where there's a lot of trade going on. Mm-hmm. Um, public transit is stellar. Yes. Yeah. Stellar, whether it be a double-decker bus or uh, you take the subway and every subway stop is a mall. Yeah. You know, you can go shopping or whatever. I know the banner I got behind me, Bedlam Micro Speedway, I got the idea of racing small-scale RC cars from that trip mm-hmm. in 1990 in Singapore. And I saw some stuff. Fabulous. That I said, I would do that. Yeah. You know, so much fun. That's a whole nother story, a whole nother day. But there is a dark side to it. So I was fortunate that I had some church family there mm-hmm. and I visited and had lunch. And it's hilarious because uh, the minister at the time, he was born and raised in New Delhi, became a doctor. Uh, his wife was from Texas. So I'm just like, okay, well, we're going to go there for lunch. Let's go buy McDonald's. How much are cheeseburgers? 10 cents. American. <laughs> I've got. 30 hamburgers and cheeseburgers. Holy shit. I show up at their house and I forgot he used to be, of course, Hindu. Oh, right. So, you know, they don't eat meat. Of course not. Yeah. I got 30 burgers. But I think their son, they would let have a burger from time to time or whatever because they weren't Hindu anymore. But they just looked at me like, you better put your hand down. Don't even think about it. Yeah. (laughs) Mother who was in town from India. She's like, oh, we have guests. Where are you from? You're like, the U.S. I'll never forget. You know, everyone, especially in Asian cultures, everyone eats rice. 
Okay. Yes. Yes. Julia was poor, poor, like this huge thing of rice. We're gonna need a lot of rice tonight. Yeah. <laughs> We're not gonna have enough rice for the Americans. They eat a lot, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, but I was I'm glad I had that experience. But a couple of my guys that I worked with in engineering, they decided, you know, we're going to go out and party. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, there is a dark side and there is mafia that have existed for hundreds of years in that area. You know, mm -hmm. I think one word is the triads, but basically it's just a lot of criminal organizations that can get you anything you want. Well, yeah. um, they go partying on this rooftop bar and they get into a fight with these Australians. Oh, geez. And they kind of got mixed up. But at the end of the fight, they're leaving. They're like, where's what's his name? Oh, he probably left early or whatever. He said he was going to go. Mm -hmm. They get back to the ship. He's not there. They're oh, drunk. Shit. Of it. They woke up the next day and they were told, yeah, he was found dead. Like, what? Oh, my Someone God. Had grabbed him and thrown him off uh, the rooftop bar. It's like three stories up. Oh, he landed in a potting platter, you know, like those, yeah. sometimes, sometimes you see those large, you know, potters with plants or whatever like that. Sure. He landed in that, was still alive. Oh my God. Slowly died in that. Someone heard the moans and, oh, or whatever. No. and uh, they got him out and it was, but it was too late. So that was the first, um, you know, serious incident of someone losing their life mm -hmm. while on deployment and it sucks. Oh yeah. It does but at the same time you're reminded there are certain places in this world that as beautiful as they can be mm -hmm. now i know singapore like they have a formula one race they do at night and it's just lights camera action yeah uh, they drink the singapore sling that hotel is still open you can still go there mm -hmm. um while we were there about you know about two weeks before i got there this guy from australia was backpacking and you know how there's large backpacks you you use like when you're like Backpack across Europe has a lot of zippers. Yeah, yeah. But they tell you put locks on your zippers. That's why there's two zippers for every pocket. Put a lock on. Yep. It. Well, he didn't. Police were tr running, were chasing a drug trafficker. He saw the backpack. He just ran up, opened, dropped in a brick size of pure opium, and kept running. Holy now, crap! In America, the police would grab you as the backpack guy mm -hmm. and maybe interrogate you, but they saw what happened. They're still going against the other guy. Not in Singapore. At Singapore, that, that is serious business. They will execute you. He yeah. was executed a few weeks later. That Australian. Oh two my weeks God. Later. They're like, but it's it's your responsibility. And we don't know if you're part of the drug ring. Oh God. Because that's how they do it. They can just yeah. run through the streets, put it in this guy's bag, and then he's gonna bring that bag over here, especially being a tourist. Yeah. You know, they're you not gonna know. be involved. Yeah. Yeah. So there, I had a backpack. I still have backpacks or whatever. But there, that's one thing someone told me: you need to get locks. Yeah. Put oh lock yeah. On your backpack and never have gone there. So you know, it was it, growing up. You know, this is like real life, real yeah. stuff. But um, I, so I enjoyed. I enjoyed my time in. It was actually, you know, I, I had enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, hour yeah. shifts. I'm like, I can get paid a lot more. And to give you an idea of how they were phasing out boilers, when I joined in '89, the resign bonus is 20 grand. Ah. So you resign and get 10 grand up front, and then they prorate that other 10,000 to the rest of your enlistment. For sure. Well, I said, uh, they were like, what can we get you to stay? I said, I want 30 grand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how about a Snickers? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were not, 
didn't need yeah. to keep you. They were moving on. So uh, I was based yeah. in Hawaii. I got out of the Navy and I moved to the Big Island of Hawaii. Became a paid firefighter for three years, Beautiful. which was interesting. Like I said, I love yeah. to immerse myself in cultures and being a loud, large black man from the East Coast, it's kind of tricky at first, but uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you get used to it. But I got done with. I felt, you know what, this just isn't for me. I want to go back to the mainland, and um, yeah. I went back to the East Coast in November of '96. Met a girl, and she was pregnant by February. So I have a lovely 24-year-old daughter. You know, she's 24 now. Yeah, and yeah. She's my heart and soul. Oh, uh, but great. she got into social work, and she said, Dad, I'm concerned about some things I'm seeing. You're showing some behaviors um, of, you know, at minimum, mm-hmm. being bipolar, you know. Oh, or, no, at minimum, you know, PTSD, mm-hmm. at maximum, bipolar, Yeah, you know. yeah. And so I had been seeing a family therapist, but I hadn't actually gone to the VA. Mm-hmm. And after going to the VA and getting some more deeper treatment, found out that, yeah, I'm, I'm suffering from PTSD, anxiety. And since I'm, you know, I've been working in the government, still doing boilers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where I work currently working. I don't want to put that out there just yet. We'll talk. And that, that's a whole entire other podcast <laughs> where I work yeah. in Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, being in that kind of environment, you know, anyone who's in a high anxiety environment for long periods of time, you're going to develop PTSD in certain ways, certain things. And of course, being a military vet who was a snipe, as our nickname is in the boiler rooms and the the spaces, we're just known as these crazy sons of bitches. We're just got a reputation. We're heavy drinkers. We don't do relationships well. We're going to be we're, we we are we we carry our hearts on our sleeves, mm-hmm. and so we're total softies. We fall in love fast and want to get married right away, but then have these horrible divorces. And it's just I've been married once, and it only lasted thirteen months. Oh, and wow. uh, she started dating her new husband six months after the wedding. All of the story all of the day. So Ooh. now you're dealing with you know violent episodes of revenge and yeah and yeah and honor or whatever. So I, I, um, I got with the VA, I've got my benefits, I'm doing much better now. That's um, but at the same time, I cherish that time of growing up from April of 89 until July 2nd of 1992. Three months, two, yeah, no, three years, two months, two days, too long, as I say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I love, you know, I'm so thankful I had it. I really am. For sure. Well, and especially like you mentioned, if you're still working with boilers, um, which is interesting. I had another boiler technician on uh, Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. He still works with boilers. It's insane. (laughs) Like, oh, it's one of those things you just there's there's an adrenaline factor of when all hell's breaking loose and you're able to you're already controlling energy that can destroy a city block. Yeah. But then it's starting to go to that boundary of I'm about to kill people. And you kind of wrangle it and bring it back. There is a rush yeah. that I cannot explain. But the bad part is you're kind of twisted and you're expecting that within life and it's not there. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. It puts you on. I gotta see that. I want to see that episode now. Maybe you should have us both on there. Oh, it yeah, would be yeah. Hilarious. Just... That's all I gotta say. It Boiler be... talk with Tommy and Sean. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Woo! Well, yeah, so. and you guys were in about the same time too. So, you know, it was right mm-hmm. as uh that rate was winding down. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But that's that's fascinating that you both stuck with that because I 
I uh, I worked Wait, for. What was your rate? What was your rate? I was master at arms and. Oh, you're the police. Yeah. yeah. But I, I had a similar experience as you because I, believe it or not, I actually got in on an EOD contract. Needless Ooh. to say, did not work. So it was like, okay, you can be undesignated. Knew I didn't want to do that. Or you could be master at arms or machinist mate. And I thought, well, I don't really want to turn wrenches. I <laughs> Maybe I'll be busted in some heads. I'll be a master at arms. But then, then I ended up just driving small boats, doing security boats. Okay. So, uh, you know, I was never checking ID. You know, I got real lucky. And then, you know, reserves has been nothing to do with my job field at all. I ended up in logistics all over the map. Um, <laughs> but I, I worked, well, actually, I, I kind of work for them now again, uh, a nonprofit where they're helping veterans as they're transitioning out of the military, figure out what they want to do. And uh, I see very few people who take exactly what they did in the Navy or any branch of service and translate that to civilian life so to have two boiler technicians in a row that's what they did it's like what that never happens <laughs> gotta remember we would sit at night two three in the morning about shit 18 and six i do 18 and six out there how much overtime i'm gonna get in this and that yeah and yeah that's what you think back. you know that's what we, we we talked about that we and we knew yeah. there's you know, you, you got to have power. You got to have steam at least. Oh, yeah. And all the skills with wrenches and valves and piping and uh, water pressure and, you know, what hydrodynamics, it encompasses so much. So literally, and I, I and you'll see when we it, when the, Tommy and I get together <laughs> late at night, we're already making our plan. We're making our escape. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're already calling places and how much would you? Oh, you're going to pay us $18 an hour, which may not sound like much, but when you're getting paid kibbles and bits and oh, yeah. hamburgers, it's a big deal. And you're working 18 hours, like, oh man, I I'll make this work. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, and yeah, it's, it's interesting just the departure from, you know, military life to to getting into civilian life where it's like oh no i have to make my own plan what do i want to do oh <laughs> uh, uh. yeah it's uh it can, be, it can be tricky it can be very tricky a wild wild journey but uh but yeah well and thank you for sharing yours i mean you know three years it doesn't sound like a lot of time but i mean it's that's a transition in and of itself i mean going from all right i'm fresh out of high school to i'm a young man i have career prospects, job prospects, some life experience no one else is going to have. Certainly not at that age. And uh, yeah. onwards and upwards from there and and still growing. Yeah, yeah. I love it. You know, it's with everything going on now with, I know, Roe versus Wade being overturned yesterday. Uh, my daughter is a lesbian. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I served with openly gay people at a time when you, quote unquote, could be openly gay. The right. whole thing was simple. Are you going to show up for watch, not only on time, but early? Are you going to do the job and yeah. not leave me a mess when I show up? And exactly. I, 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 that mentality I use for everything. I'm like, you guys got to understand in this world, mm -hmm. you don't know what people are doing behind closed doors or what their true beliefs are. Of course, back then we didn't have social media and everything else. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, there's a certain level of, as a part of society, this is my place. This is my job. These are my rules or whatever. And this is how I live my life. For the greater part of everyone, if we had a, if we just had that, what I call that shipmate mentality, mm -hmm. uh, we got to handle our own problems, whether we like each other or not. And I mentioned 
I served with some gentlemen who were card carrying members of the Ku Klux Klan wow. in Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, had witnessed over 15 murders. Oh I had also been with gangbangers from Detroit, Chicago, LA, who had close friends shot and killed right next to them. Um, and everything in between, yep. you know, everything and anything in between that could manage. But the thing was, when it was time to do work, that, that's how you're judged on a ship. Yep. Can I trust you? Do you do a good job? And it's funny, you, you as you hear, like one of my heroes right now is David Goggins, as far yeah, as over yeah, he's amazing. adversary. Shout out to David Goggins. Um, you know, when he mentions, even within the elite, you know, special forces of all the military, you know, you get there and these guys are the elite of the elite, but with the, within the elite of the elite, there are guys that they feel like, oh, he's a shit bird. He doesn't do shit. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm like, what? Thing. You can't escape it. You got to yeah, deal with it. You can't escape it. It's human nature. So yeah. all that being said, you know, it's just, I, I think for, for my life with everything going on, it keeps me cool and calm knowing that this is just another phase yep. that we're going through. Things that actually been worse, but it's a slippery slope. If someone can take away this group's personal freedoms, they can take anyone's for any reason. So Absolutely. stand by. Or we say back that they stand the fuck by. Here yeah. it But I'm gonna live my life. Yep. I'm gonna live my life. And I'm there for my veterans. If anybody wants to get in touch with me, do so. If you just need to talk, I am here. And I definitely say, you know, get to the VA, get mental health help, because we all need it, and find out what benefits are available. We've earned them. So Absolutely. Well, well said. Uh, well, Sean, thank you so much for, for coming you on. Are awesome. Sharing your story. I, I love hearing, hearing these stories. And like I always say with people, I mean, you served from, from 89 to, to 92. I was, uh, well, for active 09 to 13. And, okay. Uh, just, I'm always blown away by the, how much I have in common with fellow veterans. I mean, even different time periods, different rates, um it's just there's so many boxes checked off and meeting someone where it's like all right we could skip to the next level and just talk shop i mean we know, <laughs> we know what we're talking about exactly so much exactly. fun um but yeah thanks so much for coming on and um you know yeah as, as Sean said, this great this is oh, i can't wait to do this again yes yes have to have you on and uh and tell some more stories have have you and tommy on we gotta do oh, a, a I'm going to tell you that right now. Get so. your popcorn and make sure you got a full <laughs> glass of, of tea to drink. Because I'm just, sister, let me tell you, it's mm -hmm. going gonna to be a minute. It's yes. Gonna, you gotta make sure you have plenty of videotape or whatever you use on the podcast. <laughs> we're going to, once we get started, just hold on. That's, I can tell you that right now. Not even meeting the guy. Yeah. Hold yeah. On. Awesome. Oh. Well, Sean, thank you so much and uh, have yeah. a great rest of your day. You as well. You as well.